This morning, we'll be reading Hebrews chapter 1, verses 4 through 14, and that is found on page 1001 in the Black Bibles around the room. And if you do not own a Bible, please feel free to take this Black Bible home with you as a gift from us. When I finish reading, I will say, this is the word of the Lord. And in response, you'll say, thanks be to God, which is just our way of expressing thanksgiving to God for giving us the word and for revealing himself in it. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray, church. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for bringing us here today. Thank you for the snow Thank you that we are here and can come together and worship you, Lord. We ask that our ears and our hearts would be open as we read your word and we hear your message. We ask that you would guide Pastor Mark as he preaches from your word, that only your truth would be proclaimed, Lord. And we just ask these things in your name. Amen. Good morning. Man, Hebrews part two. Who's excited? Yeah. All right. Cool. Nobody's excited. All right. <laughs> Who's excited? <laughs> Who's nervous? Me. You know, that's what I'm Okay. Well, welcome. So glad we are, uh, we are after it. And, and we had a great introduction last week in terms of just this is who Jesus is. And we, we got to talk about the bigness of of Jesus. And then, as I mentioned last week, the, that the, the, the sermon of Hebrews, it's not a letter or a book, but it's a sermon. The sermon of Hebrews has six points. It's a six-point sermon. And so it has six main truths that the preacher is preaching, and then it has six applications that follows each one of those truths. And we have broken up the series between now and Christmas time into these uh, these sections, these six sections, and we're starting that first section. So it was an introduction last week, and we're starting that very first section of just 
of, of just what's called doctrine or truth about God, truth about Jesus. And then he's going to follow it up over the next couple of weeks with what do we do in light of this? And then we'll, we'll kind of go on to a, another part. And, and this, is, this is what is kind of in the mind of the preacher, if I could get into his mind. Uh, I don't know if you guys watch YouTube uh, like I do. It's amazing how kind of significant YouTube has become in people's lives. Um, I think the best thing happened on YouTube are the fail videos uh, because they make my life look so much better, right? Like you watch the fail videos, you're like, at least it's not that bad, right? Like that's, that's how we measure it. And so one of the fail videos that are kind of the hardest to watch but also some of the most fun uh, because we just like to see people fail, I think, is, is when people celebrate too early. You seen these ones? Oh, yeah, see? See, you're with me. You're like, take that funk down, you know? <laughs> when that person is coming to the finish line or at the end of a race or whatever, they're like, <laughs> they're like raising their hands, and it's in front of a whole crowd, and then somebody just gets right by them at the very end. Oh, it just does my heart good. I don't know why. I don't know why. I love those. Um, but, but some are really hard. Like if you've seen the marathon ones, you know, like a person runs 26 miles. And then in the last 100 feet, because they're celebrating a 26-mile run, somebody passes them. Oh, it's heart-wrenching, but so good, you know. But it's, it's rough. And here I am. You know, in all of my physical glory, sitting on a couch laughing at somebody who got second place running 26 miles, right? Yeah, who's the idiot, right? Like, that's, that's the thing. But anyway, but, but the whole idea of celebrating too early, you think you won. You think you got it, it. It's in the bag. And I think that's at the heart of the preacher of Hebrews. It's at the heart because he starts off with this amazing list of how big Jesus is, way bigger. He's not just a, a guy who's come to forgive some sins and died on a cross. Like the scripture, if you go back, says he will inherit everything. All of creation is his. And then we have other phrases like he is the exact imprint of the nature of God. God, whatever you, when you see God the Father, God the Son is of the exact same nature, no difference, right? He is the radiance of the glory of God. He upholds the universe with the word of his power. We exist because Jesus says exist, right? That's it. We need him for everything. He's far bigger and greater. And last week, and I've had some conversations throughout the week and even this morning, just people's hearts were like, kind of like the Grinch's heart grows, you know? Like it was a tiny little beating heart for Jesus. And then as you get to talk about him and as you get to see how big he is and how great he is and how um, beautiful he is and how significant he is in all of our, and in everything happening in the universe, you're like, Oh my gosh, my heart just grows for him, right? Just big. And that's what we were experiencing last week. Exciting. But the Hebrews preacher has a warning kind of intrinsic in the book, and that is be careful not to celebrate too soon. Be careful that you don't think you got it just because you feel something or just because you heard these great things about Jesus. It's, it's hearing these great things about Jesus, but then there's these temptations that rise up, that keep us from actually believing or living out or surrendering our life or giving him our lives, even though we believe these big things about him, right? There's these temptations that get in the way. And that's where we find ourselves 
Last week was this introduction. Verse 4, there's this break in 3 and 4. Even though it appears to be in the same list, there's a thought break. And the thought break is because the topic kind of changes and goes uh, somewhat sideways. And it should kind of strike you when you read this. So if I, if I was just picking up from last week, right, after making purification for sin, he sat down. Awesome. He's, he, we don't need a priest who's still working. We have a priest who's done all the work for us and is seated, seated down, right? And then he's at the right hand of the majesty. And then verse 4, something kind of weird happens. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited. What? We just meant, we've just, if you're looking at this kind of logically and, and, and you're just kind of putting yourself in the audience of this sermon, you would say, that's weird. He brought angels up. That's strange. Where do angels come from? It's kind of like an out of the blue. It's a topic change. All of a sudden, Jesus is big, 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 and he's bigger than angels. Why? What? Why is there anything about angels in here? What is going on? And that that's one of the questions when you come to the Bible, you're constantly asking, why is it written like this? It's very intentional. It's on purpose. Remembering that the books of the Bible were not written to us first. They're written to a context, to a particular group of people who lived in a particular way of life and had a particular kind of culture. And that's why he's talking about angels. Because remember that the audience of this letter are the Hellenistic Jews of Italy in the first century. Now the Hellenistic, or let's start with Jews, the Jews meant that they they believed and were part of the whole storyline of the Old Testament. They were the covenant people of God, the, the the people that God had made a promise to be in relationship with. And so they held their roots, but they were Hellenistic, which means which which meant that they adopted Greek culture, that they that they had let go of Hebrew language and they adopted Greek language. And language is a big part of culture, isn't it? And then not only that is then they adopted parts and and pieces of Greek culture and they incorporated it into their Jewish roots. And one of the things that they incorporated was angel worship. So when when it comes here, Jesus is big, way bigger than you imagine and think. But don't celebrate too soon. Because just because you, you hear those things and see those things, here's a great temptation. For them, in their context, was angel worship. The great temptation was that their shallow worship of Jesus would be exposed by this active worship of angels that they tried to make kind of fit in with who Jesus was. And there's a word for it. It's called syncretism. Syncretism is when you take two opposing worldviews or two belief systems and you, you meld them together to create one new belief system. And that's, that's the very nature of the Hellenistic Jewish world of Italy that this preacher is speaking about Jesus to. And that is, they took their Old Testament roots, angels. Now let's talk about angels to the Jews. The angels to the Jews were really significant. They were messengers of God. But the most significant thing that led to angel worship is you might remember when God gave the Ten Commandments, it was angels who delivered the law. You remember that? And so the angels delivered the law of God to the people, which the Jewish people love the law of God. But if you know the Old Testament story, they ended up loving the law more than God, right? 
And they, they ended up holding to the laws and holding to the way you should live or not live and all those things. And they, they disconnected it from relationship with God and what it was ultimately there to do, which was to lead them to, to be exposed. Like, it's a law. I can't follow the law. I'm a sinner. I need the grace of God to save me. That's the purpose of the law. But along the way, they loved the law so much. And then what ended up happening is then they elevated the angels, which gave them the law. So they had a high regard for the angels. That's the Jewish background. Now the Hellenistic background. Greek mythology has angels. This, uh, I don't know if you've heard of Hermes. Hermes in Greek mythology is the messenger of Zeus. And so Zeus would send, send little Hermes. I don't know if he's big or little, actually. But anyway, he would send Hermes out, and, and Hermes would engage with, with humans on behalf of the gods, especially the big three. And so if you, enter, if you encountered Hermes, you were encountering in Greek mythology an angel, a messenger of the gods, right? And if you encountered Hermes, you would come away from that experience, and you would say, Oh, man, the gods think of me. The gods know me. The gods know I exist. I'm not just a peon down here. They're mindful of me. And then that would infuse you with a lot of worth and value and excitement and, and whatnot. But that to meet Hermes was, is to meet with Zeus. That's the way they thought about it. So then what happens? You begin worshiping Hermes, don't you? You're like, now you're not asking, like, maybe I can see Zeus in Greek mythology. You're like, I'm, I'm happy with Hermes, angels. So you have this Old Testament, the Jewish side, that gave them the law, high value. And then you had this Greek mythology, and they were making into one belief system, which is I could be Jewish, and I could be Greek, and I can accept the law, and at the same time, I can take these spiritual aspects of Greek culture, and I can blend them into one religion mindful of, these are the same people going, Jesus is so big. Jesus is so great. Hellenistic Jewish Christians who love Jesus, just like we saw last week, who would, who would say Jesus is all these things, but in their actual living out, they're living out a syncretism, a combination of Jesus plus something else, which exposes to us that we can be often satisfied with messengers of God, and we'll, defi- we'll do a lot of defining, and we stop short of being or searching for God himself. Because my guess would be this. If you had an angelic moment today, you're driving and your guardian angel <laughs> shows up and you have a moment with an angel, you would feel probably pretty special, wouldn't you? It would be, in a, it would be a significant moment in your life. And you might interpret it a hundred different ways. And you might become totally satisfied in that experience and miss God totally. See, the author of Hebrews is going to be bringing up these temptations that we face in light of the bigness of Jesus. It's one thing to say it, but sometimes we celebrate and we stop short of God himself and we become satisfied in the things of God, but not God. And that's the Old Testament, isn't it? Satisfied in the law, but not God. Or satisfied with things of God like 
some form of spirituality or some, some form of rocks or crystals or dream catchers. These are physical creations that, that, we, that a lot of people outside of Jesus stop short and create those things as their spirituality. Angels, that's the intention. So it's a, it's a confronting chapter. It's one of those things where it's like going to shake some things up in us because ultimately we all easily become satisfied with generic instead of Jesus himself. And this, is, this has been a great temptation for a long time. Let me give you Romans 1. Let me tell you how Paul says it. He says it a little bit differently than Apollos in Hebrews. He says this, all, For although they knew God, there it is, they know God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. They didn't acknowledge him, but they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creepy things. I just like the Bible says creepy things. That's just <laughs> creepy things. Seafood. What, what's, the temp, what's Paul saying? Paul's saying, you know what? There's a great temptation, and it maybe is the greatest temptation since the beginning of man. And that is to become satisfied with creation instead of the creator. That was Adam and Eve in the garden. They had God and they became dissatisfied with the creator and they wanted creation. They wanted that fruit and they wanted the creation of what that fruit would give, which is knowledge. That's creation. They wanted creation over the creator, didn't they? And then you fast forward and these stories happen over the whole Testament is filled with creation over creator, creation over creator, gift over giver. And Romans, Paul tells us, we've traded out the glory of the immortal God for images resembling man or beasts or birds or animals or what creation. This is our great temptation. And the great temptation, I think, that we're, that we're going to hit right here in, in the view of angels, here's what angels mean. Angels are God's creation that was meant to lead us to God. And Hebrews would say angels were creation to lead us to Jesus. But oftentimes along the way, we become satisfied somewhere in the middle with just creation. And we replace Jesus with creation. And we end up worshiping creation over the creator. And the book of Hebrews is here to expose our shallow worship. Because all of us are like the first chapter, first couple verses of Hebrews. If I, if I were to give you a survey in the lobby after this said, hey, tell me what you think. Is Jesus superior to angels? You'd been like, yes. Okay. But then when you leave here and you go to lunch... Is that still true? What happens between lunch on Sunday and next Sunday morning? How we live that truth out. I think many of us are looking for angels, which is just mere creation instead of the creator. We become satisfied with what was meant to lead us to Jesus. And so then therefore we can know a lot about God and not know God himself or to say it more deeply, we can know a lot about Jesus, but not know Jesus himself. And that is scary. Now, 
it's easier sometimes to point to places. Maybe you're here, you're, you're searching, you're seeking. You would even call yourself spiritual. For, for you, you would know, and or if you have friends or what, whatnot, if you're not a Christian here this morning, you might say, man, that, you know, like I believe in crystals or horoscopes or palm readers. These, these are my spirituality. We, you know, we live in a very kind of spiritually uh, focused area, right? A lot of new age mysticism happens here, right? Angels, that's what that is. That's Hellenistic view of angels. That's a Greek culture view of angels, that there's beings just on the other side that are communicating with me, relatives that have passed that have messages for me and that if I can just connect with the right medium, then I'm able to communicate with them. And there's TV shows that have made their whole living on that ideology, right? So, so like those kind of things are, are angels in this view. But then for the Christian, maybe it's harder. Here's some examples of angels, a great worship experience that makes you feel really good like Jesus is close. Angels. If we come here and we're like, man, I, I need the goosebumps of the Lord. I need the tingle down my spine. I need a great worship experience. If we walk out of here and you've heard the word of God preached and you go, man, I'm not a great morning because I didn't feel it. Angels. Ha ha. Angels. That's what it is. It's the elevation of the creation instead of the creator. If we need some kind of experience or feeling, we're looking for a tool that God had created to lead us to him. But if we stop there, then we're just worshiping the creation over the creator. But if it really is worship over the creator, who gives a care while the quality is? Who gives a care? It doesn't matter. Now, we want good quality because distraction is not good. But that should not be the end all of whether or not we think this was a good Sunday morning. A good Sunday morning is Christ preaching him crucified, right? Whether I feel it or know it, see, that's angels. See how that comes out in our real life? We're looking for great experiences. It's no wonder why some of the best worship isn't some of the worst theology. Angels giving us great goosebumps for Jesus. But then for Christians and non-Christians, there's angels, things in which we stop for the creation instead of the creator, like sex, work, significance, identity, creation over the creator. And we worship these things. See, so it, I, you can tell me Jesus is everything to me. We just read, a, we, just, we just sang a song that said, Give me Jesus and I would be satisfied. Is anybody sitting there like I was going, oh, God, help me? Because I'm not sure that's true of me today. I'm not sure. I got some other things that I'd like to add to that list. Because I have some entitlements in which I come out of my life in which it's not just Jesus. It's Jesus and what I want to spend money on. And it's Jesus and my hobbies. And it's Jesus and my wife. And it's Jesus and whatever. Angels. Creation over creator. Oh, we're preaching in Hebrews now. Here we go. This is our great sin. Now, let's recognize why these things are so tempting from crystals to experiences. I, th I think there's three. One is angels are a more tangible spiritual reality. Like I said, if you, had a, if you had a moment with an angel in your car, 
that, that is going to inform you in some degree. You can attach that. If you heard somebody saying that they were able to talk to uh, a mom and dad or something from the other side, that's a very tangible, visceral experience, isn't it? If you have crystals around your neck or crystals that you can buy at a coffee house that infuse your water with peace and power and harmony, depending on the crystal, and that's a thing, if you have that, that's a very tangible way for you to experience peace because you're like, okay, I'm feeling calm today. It must be the crystal infusing my water. It's tangible. It's tangible. It, it, it's why we wear them around our neck. It's why we use them. They're, they're very visceral forms of representation of God or spirituality in us. And so then therefore we run to them, don't we? But two, another reason why we have these angels in our life, these, these things that we worship, the creation of the creator, is because they're easy. You notice, like, the, the most popular religions of the world or New Ageism, they, they don't ask anything of you. They don't ask anything of you than what you already believe you should be doing anyway. Like, if you hear religion goes, I'm, I'm, I believe in this because, man, it teaches me to love people and be patient and be kind. Yeah, we, you believe that anyway, right? But, but, but God comes along and goes, I want your whole life. You're like, oh, I'll take the crystals, right? Because the crystals don't ask anything of you but to make, make a good accessory, right? You notice that the creation things that God has given us that we worship, they don't ask much of us. Sex does not ask much of you. Horoscopes do not ask much of you. They are easy to believe in. They are easy to give your life to because they are so general and generic. So one is they're tangible. Two is they're easy. But three is these things work to a degree. They do work, right? Spirituality works in, in some, some way. There was, a, there was a study that was done that showed people who had a belief in a God, didn't, didn't matter, they weren't Christian in particular, a belief in a God versus those who don't believe in a God and their brains were literally different physiologically. So belief, faith, some form of it changes you physiologically. It works to some degree. I, I, I've, I've met Buddhists, they're very peaceful people. It works it serves, it helps. This, this is a reality. The question is, is, is it ultimate? They give us something, great worship experiences and great moments, great mountaintop experiences with God work. Is it ultimate? So because it's tangible, you can touch it, sense it, smell it, that kind of a thing. You know, then, then we worship it. It's easy. It doesn't ask anything of me. It, it just wants to give me the thing I already want. And so then, therefore, it's easy. Or, or it works. There's a certain degree to which things work for us. I'll give you an example of how this flows out in our everyday life. We do community groups. And if you're new to Living Stones, I would encourage you to become involved in a community group. It's where we live out this stuff, but with community on the same journey of, of making much of Jesus together. Now, in a community group, somebody might come, and they might show up, and they're going to say something like, you know, hey, guys, can you uh, be praying for me? I have not been sleeping recently. I'm 
uh, just can't get to sleep, and once I get to sleep, I can't stay asleep, and it just feels like I got a, a hundred thousand pounds on my shoulders, and uh, and I'm just I'm wrestling, struggling, and somebody in the community group, and often it'll be the first thing. Somebody says, "Hey, you know, have have you tried exercising at night? Have have you have you tried stretching practices and yoga?" Have you thought about vitamin B? Now look, stretching, awesome. It's great. You know, like yoga to worship music, great, right? Stretching's great. Breathing exercise, great. Running is great. None of those things are Christian unto themselves. And we get together as groups of disciples and we're struggling with some really deep heart stuff that are, is about control and about how good Jesus is or whether or not Jesus is good and all these things that weigh on our shoulders. And oftentimes, as Christians, we don't give any better news than anybody else would. That's syncretism. Now, that's not a bad thing. Don't ever hear me wrong. Those things are good things, but they should not be the first thing. And those things are creation, and oftentimes we trade out creation for the creator because here's the thing. It does work. Somebody will go, man, I applied your advice. I started working out before bed, taking a shower. I get to sleep, and I'm sleeping great, taking melatonin. Awesome. And we go, man, praise God. Cool. But that doesn't mean their faith is any deeper. That doesn't mean that the heart issues that were below the surface before are any more exposed. It doesn't mean that any part of their life is surrendered to Jesus in any significant way. They're just doing something that works. And it's easy, and it's tangible, and it's creation. It's angels. And now I've offended all of you. Actually, the book of Hebrews has, so. Which means we can love the things of Jesus and never really love Jesus. We can talk about Jesus and never love him and know him or worship him. And some of our best discipleship skills are to become evangelists for things that work. Syncretism. Instead of Jesus himself. You know what happens here? Shoot straight. When the Pharisees kept giving the law to people, and said, just keep following the law, it'll work. And it does work to some degree, right? At the end of that, Jesus said, you are making twice the sons of the devil because you're giving them this law. That's how serious it is. When Jesus is like, they need grace. It's not like any of those laws are bad. Don't murder, don't kill. Good laws. I like those laws, right? Don't cover your neighbor's donkey. Good law. Like it. Man, we need something better than the creation. We need the creator. So that's okay. So that's the that that's the the angst that we're in. So now you'd be like, okay, okay, uh, then what? What makes Je- how do I get to Jesus? Okay, I'm glad you asked. Because I'm gonna give you five ways out of the text that he gets us to Jesus, okay? And um, and and we're gonna have to move fast. There's so much I could teach for a year in this passage. I'm gonna say that every week, but we're gonna get through um, five reasons, and I'm gonna claim it. I'm gonna say it like this: five reasons not to stop at creation, but to go to the Creator, who is Jesus. Okay, and the first one is this: choose Jesus because God calls him a son. Choose Jesus because God calls him a son. What what does this mean? Look at verse five: for which 
of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you, or again, I will be to him a father, or he shall be to me a son. So just know this, that, the, that all of the book of Hebrews is connecting to their Jewish roots in the Old Testament. So they're going to be quoting, uh, the book of Hebrews quotes more of the Old Testament than any other book in the Bible, okay? And so he's going back to some Psalms here, and he's going to take us back to Psalms, and uh, Psalms chapter 2 in particular. And each of these Psalms that he takes us in, I don't have time to go back to every one of them, they have a context that is being translated from what they thought it meant when it was first written to now what it means in light of Jesus, the shadow to the reality, okay? You with me? And the very first one is angels are not called sons. The creation is not called sons, so don't worship it. Jesus is called a son, so worship him. That's the logic, and here's why. And this is going to be great. You're going to want to take some notes here, okay? You're going to buy that journal on Amazon, have it here in one minute on Prime. And you're, you're going to take some notes, all right? So if you don't have a pen, bite your finger, circle these things. So here we go. You are my son. Today I've begotten you. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Three, three things that were, are being pulled out to distinguish Jesus and creation. First one, this verse, first little phrase, you are my son, Harkens back to a context about the function of the Messiah. And, and the idea is that in the Trinity, God, God is broken up into function. Each, each part of the Trinity has a different function in redemption. So God the Father initiates redemption, re- initiates relationship with people, right? Reveals himself. The Son comes and accomplishes redemption for people. And then the Holy Spirit comes and applies the redemption to our heart. Do you see that? That's the function of the Trinity. And the function here is in the word son. And the idea is that the son has always existed. This very first phrase is going to the pre-existence of Jesus, meaning Jesus has always existed with God. He's always been the son. Now, in theology, there's a big debate whether or not Jesus became the son when he took on flesh and was born. But the way the Bible tells us that he has always been the son, okay? Not in a hierarchical way, the father's up here, then the son, but in a functional way, initiate, apply, and then, or initiate and, um, uh, anyway. And so, (laughs) Just went blank. Um, so anyway, so he's the pre-existent son, meaning he's always existed. Now I'm going to come back to that sec. The next phrase, today I have begotten you. Now we have a begotten son, a born son. This is his incarnation. So he was pre-existent, the function of the son, right? And then uh, he was begotten. He took on flesh and he became a man so that he could represent us and save us from within, Right? So then we have our incarnation. And then if you go to the next phrase, I will be to him as a father and he'll be to me as a son. This is a hearkening back to the baptism and death, which was one and the same. Do you remember at the baptism of Jesus, what happened? The father spoke from heaven, this is my son who I am well pleased, right? And then on the cross, Jesus responds back and says, dad, dad, why have you forsaken me, right? And this third phrase, I'll be to him a father and he shall be to me a son, represents 
both this, this baptism and death aspect, that it was one and the same. Now, here's the point. Which one of the angels or the creation that you worship existed before everything, incarnated himself inside of you because he loves you, and then died in order to save you? What of the thing that you worship was willing to die for you? None. None. If you worship another God, did that God, did he die for you? No other, no other God did that. No other God has come for his people from within his people. No other God has forsaken his own glory. And, and although the deity of God, the glory of God was something to be grasped, he did not grasp at it but became a servant and humbled himself and died and became obedient to the cross. What thing do you love died for you? And yet the things that we love, we die for all the time. See, the, the, the creation is a false gospel because instead of the gospel which says Jesus died for you, the creation says you die for me, right? You come and get me. You, you sacrifice your life for me. You make the risk for me. And so then we do, and we find ourselves in all kinds of sin because we have fallen in love with the creation and not the creator. So that's the first part. Choose the son not creation, because your creation has never given himself or itself for you. And your false God has not either. Secondly, verse six, choose Jesus over creation because the angels worship Jesus. Okay, look at him, verse six. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. All right, a couple things that I, to, to bring you in so you can understand this verse. The firstborn into the world is a phrase that connects with resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, okay? The firstborn of creation is the resurrection, right? When it says that Jesus was the firstborn, he's obviously not the firstborn human. That, he was way late. But he's the firstborn to rise from the dead, the Bible tells us. So when you see the word firstborn, it's a connection to when Jesus rose from the dead. And if he's alive, then he ascended to heaven where he's sitting on the right hand of the Father because his work is done, right? So he's in heaven. So it's a comment about his ascension. So now in just a couple verses, you have his preexistence, his incarnation, his death, and now you have his ascension and resurrection Woo! in just a couple verses. And what's the point? The point is, is when Jesus ascended to heaven, who's there? The angels, right? And what do the angels do when Jesus gets to heaven? They worship, yeah. Revelation tells us right now there's hundreds of thousands upon hundreds of thousands of angels circling Jesus saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And they're singing and they're worshiping. So now here's a strange question that the preacher has for us. Why would you worship something that's worshiping Jesus? The creation that we love and worship is worshiping Jesus. Why stop at the creation? And, and if you're a mystic or you're mystical or you're looking at the constellations, the Bible tells us the stars are making much of Jesus. So then why would we make much of the stars? That doesn't make sense. The angels are making much of Jesus. Why would we make much of the angels? The things that you worship is worshiping Jesus, so why aren't you worshiping Jesus and you're worshiping that instead? That's the point. Listen to Psalm 97. All worshipers of images are put to shame 
who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. <laughs> I love it. Now, let me, let me tell you this little secret because it, it's a part of the story of Hebrews. That's, that's how it's translated from the Hebrew Bible. But all the verses in the book of Hebrews are translated from the Greek Bible. Remember, they're Hellenistic. It's called the Septuagint. The Septuagint is the Old Testament Hebrew Bible rewritten with Greek language, Hellenistic. And in the Hellenistic Bible, and this is why the preacher put this verse in here, the Hellenistic Bible retranslated this word gods to angels. So in fact, what they would have heard out of the Septuagint that was quoted was, all you worshipers of images are put to shame who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him, all you angels. So he's telling them, your gods, your angels, your creation is worshiping a creator. You should worship the creator too. It only makes sense. Next, choose Jesus because angels serve a king. Look at in verse 7. Verse 7 says, of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And I'll get back into that. Now, to understand how these two things go together, in, in, the, in the original language here, there's a phrase that just doesn't translate very well to English. So, which is why in English we have of the angels, but of the sun, right? There's a contrast going on here. But, but in the original language, it would sound something more like this. On the one hand, angels, but on the other hand, Jesus, okay? That's verse 7 and 8, all right? On the one hand, angels, and on the other hand. So what is he saying? On the one hand, angels are ministers. They're like the winds blowing all over the planet. Angels, are they, they have a ministry of flame and fire, which is angels were the ones that pour out the judgment on the earth of God's wrath, right, in the Old Testament. It was the angels who came in, in fire. So you have these angels, they're like winds going out, and there's angels doing the work of God uh, in the world. So on the one hand, he's saying angels are a big deal. He's saying they're significant. They're important. They have a place. You should, you should notice them. They are something. And, it, and so you don't disregard them. We don't walk away from them. So the argument, don't hear me say anything this morning that don't, don't you do anything that's creation-like. No, no. It's those things are ways to get to Jesus, right? They are significant. They are important. On the one hand, angels are significant. On the other hand, Jesus is more significant. That's, that's the phrasing. Now, here's how it looks. But of the sun, he says. Okay, you ready? I love this. This is like a, I'll give you this for free. Your, listen, of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Listen very carefully. Of the sun, Jesus, he, God, the Father, says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. You see what he's saying? The, the God, the Father, is saying the Son, Jesus, is God forever. <laughs> so you know, don't tell me in your Bible there's nothing about Jesus being God. It is clear as day right here in Hebrews 1.8. All right? So you circle that bad boy. Tattoo it somewhere. Your throne, O oh God, is forever and ever. Love it. Oh, man, I love it so much. All right. Now, what's the point? The point is, just like the thing you worship worships, the thing that masters you has a master. Now, why, why is that significant? 
it's significant because how do we know that if you meet Jesus, he can totally transform your whole life? Because the things that master you, he's the master of. That there's nothing in our life that it can overthrow or thwart God. Everything in creation is under the throne of of heaven, whom God the Son is named forever and ever, reigning in righteousness as a scepter in his kingdom for those who love him. So if you say to me, oh my gosh, I am so broken, I am so messed up, I can't get past these things, I am so addicted, and, and I'm not saying this is the only thing that is going to change, but it is the thing that will empower everything else to be useful to change, and that is Jesus as a master of whatever is a master of you. Now, one way to think about it is, have you ever been in that moment where you're at a supermarket or like at a store and you want to do something and, or maybe the item you're trying to buy doesn't have a price tag or whatever and then they have to call over a manager who has a key? Do you know this moment? I hate this moment. I really hate The other day I was buying something with a gift card and they're like, oh, I'm sorry, we, we can't use a gift card because they don't trust us apparently. I'm going to need to call a manager who has a key. Really? then why isn't the manager just always here? That's my question, right? I'm going to open up a store and give everybody keys. That's what I'm going to do. Everybody's going to have a key to the register. I don't even care. I hate the idea. I really hate the idea that we put people in places and then we want them to, to care for customers, but then they're not given the authority to do so. So then in our real life, why don't we, why don't we go to the one who has the key? Instead of the, <laughs> I'll leave that there. <laughs> there we go. Next one. Choose Jesus because Jesus is infallible. Or I'll say it another way. Choose Jesus because he is eternal and the angels are not or I'll say it another way, choose Jesus because he is unchanging, but the angels are not. All those ways would be good ways to say it. Look at, look at the passage in verse 10. You laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years have no end, right? The idea is... Jesus will never change, but the angels you can't trust so much. And the quote is out of Psalm 102. And let me just give you a couple verses of 102 to give you a context. Because the Psalm, Psalm 102 is all about how everything withers, how I grieve my own change. I cannot trust myself because I'm, I'm, go I'm going to change. And then, and then the, the writer applies that to the angels. You can't trust the angels either. Listen to 102, 1. Uh, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let, me cry, let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. For my days shall pass like smoke. My bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread. 
Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I am like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of wasted places. I lie awake. I'm like a lonely sparrow on a housetop. All the days my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. I eat ashes like bread, mingled with tears with my drink. Because of your indignation and anger, for you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. The whole psalm is about how we do not remain the same and we change. Therefore, we grieve and not trust ourselves. But the, but the preacher of Hebrews says that's also applied to the angels. And the argument is, is really clear. In the scriptures, Satan, Lucifer, rebelled against God and was thrown out of heaven, an angel of light. And there were angels who rebelled against God with him and were thrown out of heaven. So then therefore, when an angel shows up to you, can you trust it? It's a good question. The point is, is don't worship the thing that is fallible, right? And if, and if you worship an experience with God, like you love hearing God's voice or receiving God's will through whatever impressions you receive as a Christian, just know this, it's not God that's infallible, but your interpretation is. So your experience of yourself or the voice of God or the meaning of that experience is absolutely fallible, which is why we need community and the word of God to test it by. But the point is, is that angels fall. People fall. Creation falls. Jesus doesn't fall. That's the point. Lastly, choose Jesus because his temple is in heaven. Choose Jesus because his temple is in heaven. This is a real easy one. Verse 13, and to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? The context is, is, you are in the kingdom of heaven. You are sitting on the throne in the kingdom of heaven. Put your feet up, pull that lazy boy back, and wait it out. This is your home, right? Now, here's the alternative. The Greek culture, they built temples for Hermes. They built temples for false gods. And it's always amazing to me that we put our trust in things that need our hands to build the house for them, Right? So the whole idea in the Old Testament, there's all this stuff about, man, you have such a powerful God, then, then you will go out and you build this great temple to show how big and powerful your God is. And the answer is, yeah, but whatever angel you're serving in the temple that you made for them, God is in heaven. And even the temple that God made in the Old Testament, here's the distinct difference between the temple that God asked the, the Jewish people to make, the Israelites to make, uh, and the temples for every other God, is that the temple was not a display of the power of God. The temple was a display of the grace of God that you have a place to come and meet with God and be saved. But every other temple was a display of the greatness and grandeur and worthiness of this God for you to worship, this angel maybe, for you to worship. And so we forget that this glorious being or angel or whatever it is was built by our hands. When God's kingdom is a heavenly kingdom, it's not an earthly kingdom, which is another way of saying don't go to the earth to find what you need. Like Psalms 121, I look up to the hills, to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. If I'm looking around me, I'm messed up. I have no hope. 
Who hopes in what they can see? You can go this whole planet and you will never find the hope because it is earthly and man-made and creation. We got to go where it's above and beyond creation and Jesus' temple is in heaven. So here's a test and then I'll get down. Verse 14. Now, one of the things about this verse is this is one of those verses where you'll say, See, oh, man, look at this. We have angels, and they watch out for us, and I have, I have a guardian angel keeping me from running into cars at stoplights and blah, blah, blah. I don't know what it is about guardian angels and traffic. I just It's funny to me. All right. It's always, it's always traffic. Yeah. Um, verse 14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to service, to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Now, it ends with a, with a test. How do you know that the creation that you enjoy is worthwhile and good? What should you receive and what should you reject? And what should you allow Jesus to redeem? So when you look at this verse, it says angels are out there. And what are they doing? They're serving and for the sake of those who are inheriting salvation. So angels are doing something. They're serving. Now, the question is, is are angels serving you? Uh Now, we like to think angels are serving us because we like to make it about us. But verse 14 tells us this simple reality about angels. They are serving Jesus. We just saw that. And in serving Jesus, it is for the sake of us. Do you see that in the verse in verse 14? They are serving, but we just saw in verse 7 and 8, who do they serve? Jesus, who's God on the throne over all angels. They serve Jesus, but in serving Jesus, we reap the benefit of their ministry. And what is the benefit of an angel's ministry? To inherit salvation. Which here's the test. If what part of creation, if you love a thing and you, and you want a thing, How do you keep that thing from becoming just creation and into itself, but that thing becomes something that leads you to Jesus? Does this creation that I love, does it send me to Jesus? Does it send me to serve Jesus or enjoy Jesus? If the thing that you love gets you to Jesus and gets you to enjoy Jesus and the grace and the freedom of Jesus, then enjoy it. Then receive it. Always cautious that it might at some point become more beautiful than Jesus himself, but that is no need to have to avoid it. It's how to use it in order to get to Jesus. Now, there are things in creation like New Age mysticism, or false religions that will never get you to Jesus. And if it can never get you to Jesus, then it needs to be rejected. If it gets you to Jesus and you're and it gets you to enjoy Jesus through it, that's good. If it's will never get you to Jesus and it'll never get you to enjoy Jesus through it, but it'll get to yourself or it'll get to some form of of worship and which ends upon itself and its own creation, then we reject it. Because the whole point is for the angels to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. That's their end game. 
We want you to know Jesus. We want you to be saved. We want you to see the maker or the giver or the creator through that creation so that you don't go to that creation, but you go to the creator and be saved. That's the point. And if it won't do that, then we reject it. And this morning, my question for you is, for each of us, what in your life has become creation over creator? And would, would you be willing to do one of two things? Lay it down and leave it with Jesus and walk away. Or rightly order it in your life through prayer and surrender and community. But all of us, we love creation, some part of creation. Would we surrender it and reorder it this morning? And if you would, there'll be pastors after this service. We'd love to pray with you over that. I'd love for you to come and tell me what you're surrendering and let me pray. Because we all need help because we're all tempted to say we love Jesus, but then to blend him with all kinds of angels. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning, for your grace upon grace, which leads us to repentance, your kindness to us. Not to leave us, I just think of, of how we'd be so satisfied with a, with a big messenger angel showing up to talk to us when the, the better and greater message is Jesus who's come and left the throne of heaven not on a fool's errand but because he loves us and would die for us to bring us to himself. Oh God, let us rightly order creation and repent where creation is above creator where we've made a God of whatever. May we surrender those things this morning and rightly order the gifts of our life. We pray in your name, amen.